If you got your Bibles, open to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and then 1 Kings chapter 17. We'll continue our study uh, on the life of Elijah and King Ahab. Again, uh, Deuteronomy 31 and then 1 Kings 17. To start off today, uh, have you ever felt the winds of change beginning to blow? You ever felt the winds of change beginning to blow? I can tell you honestly, through this stretch uh, where we have uh, experienced the pandemic, where we've experienced the election, where we've experienced people moving into our city, moving away from our city, Um, It has been a heck of a time, hadn't it? Uh, Just a lot of change on the horizon, a lot of things happening uh, all around us. Um, This is not the first time uh, that this has been experienced, and uh, there are some great movies uh, that portray this principle. One of my favorites from 1952 was a movie called Singing in the Rain. You ever see Singing in the Rain back in the day? One of my favorite movies. uh, Just for the record, I'm going to spoil it for you, but you had 70 years to see it. And so uh, anyway, in the movie... The whole goal uh, is that change is coming for a group of actors and actresses uh, that are uh, uh, that are uh, uh, act- uh, actors and actresses uh, during silent film, uh, the silent film era. Uh, they uh, they all of a sudden are introduced to what they call talking pictures, where all of a sudden uh, not only the uh, not only the image is up on the screen, but you can also hear the voice uh, of the individual who's talking in the background. So there's a scene where they're having a party with all these silent film actors and actresses, and uh, all of a sudden, at the scene, the owner of the studio comes out, and he says, hey, we've got this crazy thing. It's called a talking picture. And they show a man on the screen uh, who is visually there, but also his mouth is moving at the same time uh, to the audio. Revolutionary uh, for that time period. And it's so interesting. After it's done, there are three different responses from those who've watched it. An older man looks at it and says, it's a toy. And the young woman who's with him says, it's a scream. And then one of the silent film actresses goes, it's vulgar. And you watch it. This moment is great because it illustrates the way that each one of us deal with change. Some of us look at it and we go, huh, interesting. It'll pass. It's a toy. Others look at it and they go, it's a scream. How exciting that change is happening, that we live in this time where things are changing and things are are going to be different. And then another group goes, it's vulgar. Oh, change is bad. This is going to bring terrible things upon us. Anytime we experience change, one of those three emotions, uh, begins to hit us and the truth is uh, and this is illustrated for us in the truth of scripture at the same time it's one thing watching it on a movie it's another thing living it in your actual life look at what happens in deuteronomy 31 verses 7 and 8 our lead in today we get some words from moses here to joshua it says in the presence of all israel but we get some powerful words from moses here as he is on his way out and joshua is going to be the one who's going to lead israel into the promised land look at deuteronomy 31, starting in verse 7 and 8. By the way, Moses is 120 years old at this point. This is right at the end of not just his reign uh, in Israel, but also his life. Uh, They are still wandering in the wilderness after being led out of Egypt. Look at verse 7. It says, Then... Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, look at this, in the presence of all Israel. This is not just Moses talking to his successor Joshua. This is an official moment. This is, again, election day, inauguration day. This is a powerful moment in the presence of all Israel. He says, be strong and courageous. 
For you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers, look at this, to give, uh, swore to give from their forefathers to give them, look at this, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Now stop right there for just a minute. What Moses has just said here, don't miss the heaviness of this. Moses has been the one to lead them out of bondage to the power of Almighty God. Remember the ten plagues, the pillar of fire, again, the way that God provided for them, the bread and the manna from heaven. I mean, they have really experienced God in a powerful way, but they're still waiting on that promise of taking hold of the promised land, and then listen to this, that they would get their inheritance. Any of you ever been a part of an inheritance battle before? Any of you ever been a part of that fun day at the beach that you get to spend where relatives turn out and all of a sudden, I mean, you get to see all the, all the anger and the frustration and all the dark side of everything uh, in that family unit? I'm telling you, what, what Moses has just said here is Joshua, not, hey, glorious day, you're going to be the leader in Israel. He looks at him and says, you're going to have to lead them into the promised land and deal with the inheritance battle. He says, there are difficult days ahead of you. This is something to be celebrated, but you need to know, I fully understand that what you've got in front of you are very difficult days. Now look at what he says in verse eight, in light of all that. The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Underline, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. In the midst of the upcoming fight to gain the promised land, and then in the upcoming fight amongst the people to govern and to develop peacetime laws so that they can again live in peace with the land divided up amongst them, with the inheritance divided. Moses says, just as the Lord was with me, He says, the Lord will be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. During times of change, fear and discouragement have been the things in my own life that I find myself navigating, and I think the same could be said for each one of us. It's interesting, too. The words of Deuteronomy 31 mirror the words that God speaks to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 before they go in and step foot in the promised land. It's a powerful picture that again, the Lord will be with us. The Lord will not forsake us no matter what comes, whether it's something that's vulgar, whether it's something that's a scream, or whether it's something that's a toy. Whatever is in front of us, the Lord will be with us, and he will not forsake us. During this time period, like many of you, I've had friends in this city and friends outside of this city that have gotten this awful virus and some of them that have even passed away from having the virus. And I can tell you there is great change that has taken place on the horizon. There's great change, change and again, discouragement and fear that begin to stir. For some of you having to deal with job change, having to deal with changes in your family. Some of you have even come back here, and the reason that we had a student that was in the service, uh, last service, uh, that said, hey, my school started off together, but now they've, uh, they've split up, and the reason I'm back here is because specifically they've closed our campuses for the rest of the year. For some of you, you've had the opportunity to move. Some of you watching on video have moved, and then some of you have watched your friends move, and now you're having to make new friends in a city that already is very difficult to meet people and to connect on an interpersonal level. If that's you, fear and discouragement are what the product is of this change, but it doesn't have to be that way. The Lord is with us. 
He will not forsake us, and he is a good God who brings us good things. If you're taking notes, write this down. Fear and discouragement often accompany change, but God promises to lead us through it and to remain at our side. Let me say that again. Fear and discouragement often accompany change, but God promises to lead us through it and to remain at our side. We need not fear because the Lord is with us even in the midst of difficulty. So here's the thing. There's two different types of change. There's change that we cause because of decisions that we make, and then there's change that happens where we don't get much of a say in the matter. The Lord is the one knitting together the tapestry. The Lord is the one guiding the ship, and in that circumstance, we come to a point where, again, it feels like everything is beyond our control, and the Lord is doing something. He's up to something that's out of our line of sight. That's the type of change that we're going to talk about today, a true changing of season that's beyond your control. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Our big million dollar question today, how does God bring about a new season for us? How does God bring about a new season for us? This is not something that we cause or something uh, that, we, uh, uh, that we stir. This is not a decision that we make. When things are happening beyond our control, how does God use that to bring about a new season for us? Now flip over to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll jump back into our study of the life of Elijah and Ahab uh, as we look at what happens in, uh, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 17. The verses that we're going to look at today and focus on heavily are verses 7, 8, and 9, and they could be seen kind of as procedural verses, but it's a great step-by-step for how to navigate a changing season and to do it in a godly fashion. Let's read verses 1 through 6 so you can get the context of where we're at uh, from a couple of weeks ago. First, uh, First Kings 17, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the land for the next, uh, nor rain uh, in the next few years, except at my word. When the word of the Lord came to Elijah, he said, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Stop there for just a minute. Remember we talked about this at length a couple of weeks ago, but the idea of a brook that continues to run even during a time of drought was God providing water for Elijah in this remote location, uh, even in the midst of of there not being water uh, in the rest of the land, no rain, no dew. And then we also find that the Lord is feeding him by ravens. Remember, a raven was an unclean animal with a small beak. Unclean did not mean he couldn't touch it. Unclean meant he couldn't turn it into chicken wings one day. He couldn't catch it and eat it, but the animal could, with its little tiny beak, bring him uh, bread and meat two times a day. Now, that is a miracle in itself. In fact, if I was ever given meat and bread by a raven once, I would freak out, okay? It happened twice a day for Elijah, and not not only that, but you had a brook that continued to run, a creek that continued to run, even in the midst uh, of there being, uh, even in the midst of there being no water in the rest of the land. Now look at verse five. So he did what the Lord told him, and he went to the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and also he drank from the brook. First Kings seventeen verses one through six show what it's like to live in the midst of God's blessing. Day after day, multiple times a day, the Lord continues to provide. But then in verse 7, something changes. A season of change is on the horizon. Look at what happens. Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain 
in the land. Now stop right there for just a minute. There's a lot of great truth in this tiny little verse. Sometimes when you read over it, you can hear SpongeBob sometime later. All right, and you having to watch, and you've been forced by your kids or when you grew up watching SpongeBob, okay, sometime later. All right, you think that's what's being said here? It's so much deeper than that. The idea is that the Lord delivered to Elijah water from nothing, that he delivered meat and bread twice a day from nothing. It was a massive miracle, day after day, multiple times a day, to get Elijah to this point. But sometime later, the blessing dried up. God doesn't give us great blessing and go, it's going to be an unstoppable spigot that runs forever. No, there is a moment where difficulty happens and the brook dried up. Why? Because there had been no rain in the land. Don't miss this. The deficit that happens for Elijah, missing God's blessing of having something to eat and something to drink, the blessing dries up because God is at work, macro, in what he's doing for the country and what he's doing for the world. Because there was no rain, because of what God was doing for the macro group, it caused a deficit for the individual. Now listen, it's a powerful thing to realize when there is a deficit in your life, it does not mean that God doesn't care about you. When a deficit takes place that is beyond your control, in many cases, it is God trying desperately, listen, to get your attention. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does God bring about a new season for us? Number one, he allows a deficit. He allows a deficit. There is a moment beyond your control where you come to a realization, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do this by myself. Some outside entity is going to have to interact in order for me to be able to continue moving forward. Another great example is some of you would say, well, Zach, that sounds real heady, sounds real again up in the clouds. No, we do this all the time. Some of you drove here from outside of the city. You ever drive in and then all of a sudden somebody has decided to put up a whole bunch of orange cones and end a lane? You ever had that happen before? And you see a sign and the sign is that big, beautiful orange sign that says merge, right? Lane ending, merge. And here's what happens. You see a deficit. It is the deficit of your lane. It is not going to exist anymore. So what do you do? All of a sudden, seeing the deficit, you begin to watch the horizon and go, which one of these good Samaritans will let me in so that I can keep going on this other side? Which, by the way, is a miracle in itself in D.C., isn't it? When one of those good Samaritans, one of those precious few, lets you in so that you can get back on the highway and you can keep driving without skipping a beat. I'm telling you, that's a big moment. Now listen, it's the same picture for us spiritually. We come to a point where we're driving, where we're moving forward, where we're going through, and as believers, we get in tunnel vision. God's blessing, God's blessing, God's blessing. In Elijah's case, the ravens are feeding me twice a day, the brook has still got water. Man, I'm telling you, God is fulfilling his promises, but then sometime later, the brook dries up. Sometime later, the ravens stop feeding. Something is going to have to change. So what do you do when you've had tunnel vision? You pop your eyes up and you begin to watch the horizon for that moment of blessing. You see, God allows a deficit in many cases because he desperately wants your attention. There's something he wants to show you. There's a new part of his plan that he's about to enact. He wants your attention. If you're taking notes, write this down. Few things capture a believer's attention like genuine need in ourselves or others. Let me say that again. Few things capture a believer's attention like genuine need in ourselves or in others. 
I can tell you in my own personal walk with God, I can tell you that I experienced this greatly when my father passed away. You've heard those stories plenty of times, so I won't bore you with the whole story. But it used to be, whenever I would go through times of difficulty, my first phone call was always to my dad. Great godly man, he was my hero of heroes, he was my spiritual mentor, and I would always call my dad, run the situation by him, and he always had great insight. He worked as an evangelist for 22 years, was in a different church every week for 22 years preaching the gospel. So he had seen just about everything that you could see in ministry, every situation imaginable. It wasn't just me. He had a whole group of pastors. They used to call him the master chessman because what my dad would do is he could think five or six, ten moves ahead and walk you through situations that seemed impossible. The Spirit would speak so powerfully through him. He was like a trauma room surgeon. Some of you doctors here in this room. It's like a trauma room surgeon. He could, on one of the worst or most complicated days of your life, the Lord could use him to guide you and direct you through the power of the Holy Spirit to know what you needed to do. 36 hours before we moved to D.C., my dad started complaining of stomach pains, and it would turn out to be neuroendocrine stage 3 pancreatic cancer. I'll never forget... We've been here, we moved here in April. Dad passes away, April, April 27th was when we moved here. Dad got his diagnosis towards the middle of June. He would end up living nine months after that diagnosis. By the way, they had given him a 3.2% chance of living uh, six months or longer, and that joker lived nine. I'll never forget, when he passed away, I always used to go to him first but now there was a deficit i couldn't call him with my problems i couldn't call him with my complicated issues i couldn't call him to ask his opinion and it all came to a head a month after he died i went to uh, pack up his office flew back here from dc back down to texas my dad had an office uh, at the church that i'd worked at for five years and i'll never forget i go into the office and there's only been a couple of times in my whole life when the Holy Spirit has spoken to me in an audible fashion. Again, usually it's a word that the Spirit will speak to my heart or place into my mind, but there have been a couple of times in my life where I felt like I heard the audible voice of God, and this was one of them. I walked into the office, and it was me and my mom and the place that I'd worked for five years. And we're in the office, and when we get there, my mom, God bless her, and she's probably watching, I love you, Mom. We get in there, and she just says, I can't do this. She said, I can't. And she gets in the car, and she drives off. It was too emotional. I remember I'm in the office, and you do this sometimes when someone you love has passed away. I remember I looked up at the ceiling, and I said, well, Dad, here we are. And just for the record, you know they're with the Lord, but sometimes it's a comforting thing because I had gone to him so often. I just, just not thinking, I looked up, and I said, well, Dad, here we are. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, he's not here, but I am, and I've always been here. He's not here, but I am, and I've always been here. It was at that moment I realized in my deficit, just like on the highway, all of a sudden the lane was ending. All of a sudden I had to merge. So I looked up, the Spirit spoke, and can I just tell you moving forward, I could have gone to God at any point, and I did. But to come to the realization 
that the Lord was the one that I needed to lean on with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, that the Holy Spirit was the counselor that would guide me through any struggle, through any difficulty, like a master chessman, not just a master chessman, but like the one who created the board. You see, we have access to Almighty God, and in those moments of lacking, in those moments of loss, in those moments of deficit, we look up and then God becomes visible in and through our lives. That happens with health. That happens with money. It happens with a job. It happens with family. And it can happen also in your relationship with Almighty God. The deficits are not him hating you. The deficits are him trying to get your attention. If you're taking notes, it begs this question. It's very simple. Is God trying to get your attention today? Is God trying to get your attention today? Sometimes what we do, my dad used to put it this way. He said, whenever pain happens, we stick our fist up God's nostril. That's what he used to say. We stick our fist up God's nostril and go, how dare you do this to me? How dare you withhold blessing from me? How dare you allow this to happen in and through my life? And it causes a great crisis of faith when the truth is. God is saying, look up out of your tunnel. Look to the horizon. Lift your eyes up to the hill so that you can remember where your help comes from, the psalmist writes. It's a powerful thing when we remember that when a deficit takes place, that does not mean that God will not provide. It means we need to start watching. Look at what happens next in 1 Kings chapter 17, and now let's read verse 8. One of the shortest verses in the Bible, uh, and so again, procedural, but very important in the timing. Verse 7 again says, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. It was God's plan for there not to be any rain in the land. Now look at verse 8. Then, underline and highlight like five or six times that word then. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Him is Elijah. After the brook dried up, after the period of great blessing had come to an end, at that moment is when the Spirit of God finally speaks to Elijah. What a powerful thing for us to remember. If you're taking notes, how does God bring about a new season for us? Number one, he allows a deficit. And number two, he reveals his presence. God makes himself visible. God speaks to us in that moment when he has our full attention. But the time and the temperature have to be just right in order for him to do so. Really silly example, but I hope it sticks with you. Growing up, I used to love sandwiches. And my two favorite sandwiches were tuna fish and peanut butter and jelly, all right? Got any tuna fish sandwich uh, fans in this room? There you go. Got quite a few of you. Got any peanut butter and jelly fans in this room? I love peanut butter and jelly, okay? Just my favorite, favorite. My, my brother and sister kind of love turkey sandwiches. Again, I, I don't know what it was. I just peanut butter and jelly just think it's delicious. Well, when Autumn and I got married, we got married very young. And when Autumn and I got married, um, we uh, got to go on our honeymoon, one of the coolest gifts that my parents could have given us because dad was an evangelist and traveled so much. They didn't have much money, but what they had was frequent flyer miles. And so my dad came up and he said, our gift to you as your wedding present is we want to give you two frequent flyer tickets and you guys can go anywhere you want to go. You got to pay for your hotel. You got to pay for the, you got to pay for your, your whatever else you do, but we'll cover the two tickets with those frequent flyer miles. Got to go in accordance with American Airlines and all that fun stuff. And so we were like, that's great, let's do it. We were so excited, and we chose London. We got to go to London uh, for our honeymoon. It was amazing. We wanted to travel abroad, but we were afraid about the language barrier, about how that would work. And so we thought, London, they speak English, it's England, you know, let's see if we can make that work. And so sure enough, 
we go. Uh, but something happened. This was 2004 when this, uh, no, two, January 2000, uh, 2005, uh, when Autumn and I got married. And uh, I'll never forget, we get there, get off the plane in jolly England, all right? And when we get off the plane, we go to exchange our money. And that particular year, it was $2.01 per pound. The money had gotten cut in half from the moment that we got off the plane. And I had $300 in my pocket for us to eat and to have fun on that all of a sudden had become like $148 in some sense. I was so scared and so nervous. I looked at Autumn and I was like, we said for better or worse, I guess it's the latter. You know what I mean? It was like, what are we gonna do? And I'll never forget, we're there. Everything's so expensive. We don't know the culture again because again, we, even though we spoke English, it's a completely different place. And when we got there, um, there was a corner store right by Westminster Abbey that sold egg salad sandwiches. And they had strips of bacon on there too. So they were these bacon and egg salad sandwiches. Well, somehow through my life, I had never had an egg salad sandwich before. Anybody like egg salad in this room? I had never had one until my honeymoon. And we went down there. We got these egg salad sandwiches and they were delicious and like three pounds a piece. Okay. That's all it was costing for these little egg salad sandwiches. So Autumn and I came up with this idea that every day on our honeymoon, we went downstairs and ate egg salad sandwiches for lunch. And then we'd go to Starbucks or whatever. We do nice stuff for dinner. And so it was just a great experience. Had a great time. When we get back, Autumn was like, you really liked those egg salad sandwiches. I was like, why didn't you tell me that these existed? I called my mom. I was like, why didn't you tell me egg salad existed, right? So then she goes, you know, we can make them. They're not very difficult to make. And I was like, please tell me how to make this egg salad. This egg salad. How does it work? So you boil an egg, you mix it with mayonnaise, mix it with some, we mix it with some onions, fry some bacon, and then that's it. You got your cool bacon and egg salad sandwich. Boiling an egg. Think back to the first time you boiled an egg. Boiling an egg takes timing and it takes temperature. Here's the reason why. I, when I cook something, I want to eat it right then. You cannot do that with egg salad. Do you know why? Because it will send your little fingers off if you were trying to peel that shell off of that egg while it's still hot. Not only that, if you've ever gone, I don't care, I'm peeling it, I want to eat it now. Not only is it more, is it hot, uh, at the, the temperature is wrong, but also if you don't cool the egg down, the shell breaks off in teeny tiny little pieces and you got to use tweezers to pull off all the little pieces of shell that are on the egg. Instead, you boil the egg, bring it to the right temperature, you put it in the refrigerator or the freezer for just enough time that it cools everything down and then whew, the shell breaks off and it peels off very nicely and makes for a wonderful meal about an hour and a half after you have boiled the egg. Now listen to me. When it comes to Almighty God, Almighty God allows a deficit, but many times he doesn't just provide his presence and a remedy immediately because he is waiting until the timing and the temperature are just right. And then it'll peel off just the way that it is supposed to. If you're taking notes, write this down. Fellowship and intimacy with God always precede purpose and direction. Let me say that again. Fellowship and intimacy with God always precede purpose and direction. It's the reason Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, but seek 
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, they will be added to you. Notice this. He is not saying, seek the kingdom of God and nothing else matters. No, he says, seek the kingdom first and his righteousness. And then all the other stuff is going to come together in God's timing. He is still concerned with all those other pieces of your life and of the universe. But it all comes together in his timing when things hit the right temperature. There's no greater example of that in Scripture than the life of Moses. Moses is brought to a point where the time and the temperature are just perfect for him to lead the people out of Egypt, uh, out of bondage, uh, and into, again, that wonderful fellowship with Almighty God. But think about it. The moment when God reveals his presence to Moses is the moment on the mountainside with the burning bush. But the burning bush moment has to do with, again, the injustice that Moses has experienced while living in Egypt towards the Jewish people, the theology that he had been taught by the priest of Midian, his father-in-law, the humility that he had experienced from going from being a prince in Egypt to being a lowly shepherd. All of that together, the time and the temperature paved the way for the moment when God revealed his presence through the bush that is, that is burned with fire but is not consumed. And then all of a sudden God speaks and he and Moses have fellowship together. For some of you, you've gone through a time of loss and there's been a bit of a glass ceiling that you just can't bust through when it comes to your relationship and fellowship with God. I want to encourage you. One of the prayers that I pray when I'm in that state is I will sit and pray, even as a pastor, I will pray, Lord, I want you and not the blessing you can give to me. Lord, I want you and not the blessing that you can give to me. So many times we just go to God for purpose and direction with our hands open, and we still need to do that. But if all you do is interact with God, wanting a coin for your cup, wanting a blessing in your hands, wanting direction for your mind, if that's the only way you pursue God, then you've missed the secret friendship of the Almighty. And the real reason that Christ died on the cross, Christ didn't just die to forgive our sins. That's the gateway into relationship with him. 1 Corinthians 13 says, then we shall know, talking about when we go to heaven, then we shall know God fully even as we are fully known. The promise of eternity is not just that you'll be saved. The promise of eternity is that you get to know God in perfect intimacy the same way that he knows you. It begs the question, have you found fellowship, have you found fellowship with God? Have you found fellowship with God for some of you who've been dealing with a deficit for some time, maybe the answer is to seek first the kingdom, to seek first that relationship with God, understanding that he desires good things for you and that he will provide for you. And now let's look at our final verse. Let's flip over to 1 Kings chapter 17, and now let's look at verse 9. It starts off again. Sometime later, the brook dried up, and there had been no rain in the land. This was God's plan. Then 
The word of the Lord came to, came to him. God reveals his presence in the midst of the deficit. And now look very carefully at what he says to do. He says, go at once. Underline go at once. We have a very ambiguous sometime later, all right, there in verse 7. And then all of a sudden we have go at once, right here, right now. What that leads, uh, what that leads us to believe is, again, not only has the brook dried up, but there is no food. Elijah has been going through a time where he is not, uh, where, again, the blessing has dried up, where he is not. Uh, he's hungry, he's thirsty, he's probably fearful and discouraged, just like we had talked about uh, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31, and he says, go at once, this is something immediate that you need to take care of, go at once to Zarephath, Sidon, and stay there, look at this, I have commanded a widow, underline a widow in that place, to supply you with food, underline a widow in that place to supply you with food, what we have in this case is he has not upgraded, but done a lateral move from ravens, the unclean animal, delivering small amounts of food to him, to now we have a widow, someone who is not in this time and culture able to provide for themselves financially, that the Lord has said, in the same way I use this animal that you never thought could have provided for you, I'm going to use a widow to provide food and water for you, sustenance for you, when they are struggling with how they can provide for themselves during this current economy. That's a beautiful picture of the faith that's going to require, but listen, this is an upgrade when it comes to the, the amount of faith that God is asking from him. If God calls me to do something that's just me and him, it requires a certain level of faith. But when God called us to come here and plant the church and to move our family here, when the Lord called us to move here and my father had cancer and was going to be in his last days, for me to have faith in my relationship with God is one thing. For me to have faith in my relationship with God where it is going to affect others around me is a completely different level. And that's what happens here for Elijah. It's not just about him anymore. All of a sudden, the Lord has said, you're going to need some other people around you as we navigate this together. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does God bring about a new season for us? Number one, he allows a deficit Number two, he reveals his presence. And number three, he provides a piece of the plan. He provides a piece of the plan. As I was preaching this in the first service, I kind of came to a point where I realized the second point of this message is the peace of God, P-E-A-C-E, and the second, or the, and the, point, the third point in this message is the peace that he sends us, the P-I-E-C-E, the peace of the plan that he gives to us. When we built this facility here, you have to have an architectural set of plans, and the way that the architectural plans come together, I mean, it's like a four or five foot long, have you ever seen architectural plans before? They're like four or five feet long, I think it's three feet tall, and there's like 20 or 30 pages for this facility. All we did was an overhaul of the inside here, and it's like, again, 20, 30 pages that you've got to have all the schematics, and so you flip open the huge page, and it's the plumbing schematic, and then you flip over another huge page, and it's the roof schematic and the air conditioning. You flip over another, and it's the six 
six-inch walls that we have over here on the sides, and it's the, the paneling that we had to add, and you flip over, and it's all this different stuff. It's so extensive. When it comes to Almighty God, God has that level of plans times a million for your life and for our universe. God is so meticulous in the way he scripts things, but many times he will just give you a word, he will just give you a sentence, he will just give you a thought or an idea, and the goal of that piece of information is that when you come to a point where you don't know what to do, it tips the scales to the right or it tips the scales to the left. Just enough. That's what a vision from Almighty God is. That's what's a word from Almighty God is. It's a piece of information so that you can be who he's created you to be and go to the places and do the things that he's intended for you to do. He just gives us a sliver and then in the process he reveals a portion of what his will truly was for that moment. The Christmas story is a perfect example of that. Think about it. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, we sang about it moments ago. Each one is given a different piece of the plan. The macro goal is the salvation of mankind. That Christ shed blood could cover our sins so that we could spend eternity with Almighty God that our sin might not be counted against us. But instead of revealing every intricate detail of the architectural plans, Mary is told you are going to bear the Christ child. We call her in Greek the Theotokos, the God-bearer. Mary's given a piece of the puzzle. I don't want to ruin this song for you, but that song, Mary, Did You Know? Okay, it's a great song. It's beautiful. She didn't know all of it, I promise you. There's no way she could have from what we studied in Scripture it says that Mary took these things and treasured them in her heart, but I guarantee you at that moment she had no clue the vastness of what God's plan could possibly be. With Joseph, Joseph is given a sliver of information that he's to stay with Mary, and then he's given another dream that he's supposed to escape with the family to Egypt so they can avoid the purge of King Herod. The shepherds, who by the way symbolize each and every one of us in this room, the shepherds are the ones working the night shift that all of a sudden the glory of Almighty God through the heavenly host of angels is put right there in front of them and they get to receive the powerful blessing. They go, they go to see this Christ child, the wise men. The wise men come in from the east following a star because they felt like that's what they were supposed to do. And then in a dream were warned to go back another way. Each group given a peace listen so that their faith could be put to the test, so that their faith could be put into action. When it comes to Almighty God, he has these plans for your life. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But in the action of walking the path, he will give you just enough information so that you can know what to do when you come to the point where you could go left or you could go right. If you're taking notes, our last little quote today, God will not waste your precious faith by revealing too much of the future. Let me say that again. God will not waste your precious faith by revealing too much of the future. Hebrews 11 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. When the Lord sees a big, beautiful, blank canvas of all that he could do in creation, he starts the process by dipping his brush deep in faith before he ever touches the brush to the canvas. God desires to use faith because in our faith, he is made visible. One last little story and we'll close today. 
One of my favorite movies is one called Field of Dreams. You ever see Field of Dreams? You had decades to see it, okay? It's a great movie. Um, There's some movies that I'll tell you about up here that I don't necessarily think you should just run out and go see. Uh, Field of Dreams is one of those. I could give a stamp of approval on that one. Go watch that one. It's a great movie. Kevin Costner, James Earl Jones, uh, and uh, again, a guy who uh, uh, illustrates great faith. The whole point of the movie is that Kevin Costner, while he is working out in a field in Iowa, gets a word from the Lord. But the context is what makes the parable so special. The context is there's a lot of hurt in this young man's heart because of things that have happened in the world, social change that's taken place, and then also there's struggle in his own heart in his interpersonal relationship with his father. And so you have this beautiful story that's unfolding. And the beautiful story that unfolds is all of a sudden he's out in the field one day, he's living at a deficit, he has these hurts within him, and then all of a sudden the word of the Lord comes to him. If you build it, they will come. He will come. If you build it, he will come. As one who has received a wacko vision from the Lord before, that's pretty close to the way it happens. He turns around and he's like, I'm in the middle of the corn. I'm hearing things. What in the world could this possibly mean? And all of a sudden in that circumstance, he in his brain has gotten the word from the Lord. It's just a piece of the information. And he goes back into his wife and goes, I'm not sure, but I think we're supposed to plow up the corn and build a baseball field. The Lord didn't tell him to do that. He heard it within his spirit. He can, he, uh, again, the spirit dropped the idea into his mind, but the word was just, if you build it, he will come. He goes about it and all of a sudden exhibits great faith and it turns into level two of the vision. Ease his pain. He doesn't, the spirit doesn't tell him to go and to reach out to James Earl Jones uh, to try to ease his pain specifically, but he can feel it on his in, inside core. It's the tip of the scale in the right direction that he's what he's supposed to do. Remember he goes and meets James Earl Jones and then the craziest thing happens and it's what happened here planting the church. He meets with them, tells him about the crazy word, and then all of a sudden, they're at the baseball game together, and they receive the same crazy word at the same time together. Go the distance, and you watch James Earl Jones go, how is it possible that we got the same crazy word at exactly the same time? And then in our case, all of a sudden, you found a church. I mean, it's just the weirdest thing. Now listen, the goal of the parable was that through that word, that one piece, that God would bring about good for the family, that God would bring about good for the individual, and that he would also provide something amazing for the kingdom. By the end of the movie, that one piece of the plan, that one word, that voice spoken in the field, all of a sudden changed everything. There are some of you here today and you have operated at a deficit, you are experiencing the presence of Almighty God, but listen to me. You need your peace today, P-I-E-C-E. You've made your peace with God, P-E-A-C-E, and you are waiting for that sliver of information so that God can show you how to tip the scales and what you're supposed to do next. If that's you, I want to tell you how you receive that peace today. You ask, You humbly go before the Lord and you ask. And for some of you, that may be what you need to do today. That may be the whole reason that God brought you here is so that you can ask God for that piece of information and watch the horizon just like trying to merge onto the highway when a lane is ending. Lord, show me. I know you will provide. Show me that peace so that I can know what to do next. Guys, thanks for listening today.
this was an interesting one and putting it together because again these were three verses that were very procedural in nature I just can't help but feel like no one is here by accident today and my prayer is that the spirit would speak to you in these final moments let's bow our heads for prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed nobody looking around but just me in fact for those of you watching from another venue I would like to ask you to honor this time as well every head bowed Every eye closed, whether it's in another venue or at your house. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me. Is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I think God's trying to get my attention. I'm operating at a deficit with health, with money, with my job, with my family, with my relationship with Almighty God. I'm operating at a deficit, and I think God's trying to speak to me today. If that's you, I just want to pray that God would give you courage. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you for that. I want to teach you a simple prayer that Eli taught Samuel when he was just a boy. He said, whenever the Spirit comes to you, say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I want to encourage you, if that was you that just raised your hand, or if you wanted to, pray that simple ancient prayer. Speak, Lord for your servant is listening and then lift your eyes up to the horizon that you might see where your help comes from second maybe there are some of you here that would say Zach would you pray for me I've been dealing with this deficit and I know God's trying to get my attention but it's time that I really sought fellowship with God that I sought first his kingdom and his righteousness with nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here that would say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would find fellowship with God in the midst of my deficit. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. I know that takes courage. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But I want to encourage you to pray that simple prayer that I taught you just moments ago. Pray, God, I want you more than the stuff you can give me. God, I want you more than the stuff that you can give me. You would be shocked. So many times we come to God with open hands and he just wants us to come with open arms. With nobody looking but just me, if that was you, pray that simple prayer. God, I want you more than the stuff you can give me. He knows you need that stuff to survive. He knows Elijah needs food and water that relationship the word from God comes in the midst of that deficit and desperation last but not least maybe there are some of you here that would say Zach I've operated at a deficit Zach again I have fellowship I have that peace P-E-A-C-E with almighty God but I need a piece of information so that I can move forward I have fellowship and a relationship with him but I need to know what to do I need to know where to go. I need him to provide for me so that I can survive. 
with nobody looking but just me, if you're here today and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that God would give me a piece of the plan, P-I-E-C-E. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down. More than half the room. It's a tough time, isn't it? God is able. He has those full architectural plans for your life and for his kingdom. Trust him with the sliver that he gives you. It's all you need. It's all you need. I'm going to pray for you, but this prayer is truly between you and God. Just pray this simple prayer. God, please, Spirit, speak and give me a piece of information. Spirit, speak and give me a piece of information. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much again for these three procedural verses when it comes to Elijah, a perfect picture of the way faith unfolds. God, we thank you that when deficits happened, it's not you hating on us. Lord, it's you, again, screaming for our attention that we might look up and that we might see the work of your hands, that we might lift our eyes up to the hills and remember our help comes from you, the maker of the hill, the maker of heaven and earth. God, I pray for those who are here today operating at a deficit. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ you would wrap your arms around them, be more real to them than you've ever been. And Lord, for those screaming for relationship, God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, give them what they seek. Give them that sweet, precious friendship with you, that fellowship with you, the reason for eternity. And God, for those who just need a piece of the plan, Lord, I pray that you would give them a word today, that you'd give them a sentence, that you'd give them an idea, and that your spirit would use that to sustain them today. We love you, Lord. We thank you again for this story from Elijah. It's in Jesus' holy name we can pray. Amen.